0: and welcome all to this special three-part horizon scanning series from the public law team at herbert smith freehills we are delighted to be joined by hanbury strategy a strategic advisory firm that provides political insight and analysis my name is shamim ahmad i'm an associate in our public law team at the london office and i am joined today by nusrat Azhar, a public law partner at herbert smith freehills and james mcbride a partner from hanbury James leads Hanbury's work on political and policy insight, advising businesses across a range of industries. Together, we're doing a three-part series, looking to the horizon and considering the political and legal landscape we can expect post-COVID and post-Brexit, as well as returning to the post-general election agenda. James, let's start with the broader question. What do you anticipate to be the impacts of COVID?
1: Great, uh, thank you and, and thanks for having me. I suppose on that, that first question, I think the first thing to say is, you know, we all read DFT, we all read different publications and you read a lot about different expectations about how the world will, will vary and they can lend themselves to hyperbole. Um, but I don't think we should let the sort of exaggerations of some uh, prevent us from thinking seriously about what the, the future might hold. And I think this is especially true in the UK, because in a few months, we won't be living in a just a post-COVID world, or at least in a different stage of the crisis. We'll also be living in a post-Brexit world. Um, and so the potential for change, I think, is even greater in the UK than, than elsewhere. Um, and I think we can kind of split these two, these sort of consequences into two categories, really. The first is changed fundamentals. And then the other is accelerated trends. And I think together uh, that will create a sort of leftwards turn and a more nationalistic turn when it comes to our, our political economy. Um, and by the way, on that it's worth noting that a leftwards turn is highly unusual in the UK. I think you have to go back many, many decades, I think potentially um as far back as the eighteen fifties to see a recession result in a leftwards turn. A more nationalistic turn is much more common. So let me just quickly discuss those changed fundamentals. Um, I think there are probably three. The first is I think we're heading for a much bigger and much more interventionist state. Um, I think the entire role of the state will be reimagined. Um, second, I think we're heading for a greater pooling of risk. Um, That means a transformed labour market, it means a transformed welfare system, and I think it means a transformed way in which business interacts with citizens and the state. And third, I think we're heading for greater calls for resilience, not only domestic resilience in terms of government, but also greater corporate resilience.
0: That's really interesting. And you mentioned accelerated trends. What did you mean by that?
1: Yeah, so this is basically drivers that have been uh, taking place for a little while already. Um, And so the most obvious, at least in my mind, in terms of an accelerated trend, will be calls for more responsible capitalism. Um, Capitalism has been bailed out on a scale we've never seen before, uh, much bigger than even 2007, 2008. And I think this will lead to calls for a change in corporate behaviour across the board, including um board makeup and issues around corporate taxation i think the second big accelerated trend will be an intensification of some of the debates we've been having in in uk politics for some time now whether that be sort of inter or intra-generational debates and issues around equality between classes and between um, age groups and then uh, finally i think we'll see a reshaping of the UK in a globalised world. And again, uh, this isn't particularly new, we've seen this with Brexit in recent years, but here I think we'll see an acceleration of that. Um, Big debates to be had around state aid, uh, subsidy control, the levels of direct foreign investment in the UK, for example. And I, I suppose a really important point is none of these changed fundamentals and none of these accelerated trends fit comfortably in the sort of conservative labour divide, or the right left divide in, in British politics, these issues span both of those.
0: So, the aftermath of COVID nineteen could, in and of itself, shift the political landscape.
1: Yes, exactly. I think so. I think it's very similar to to Brexit in that way. Um, COVID nineteen absolutely has the potential to completely scramble our traditional views and loyalties and trigger. A pretty substantial realignment in our in our politics.
0: That certainly gives a lot of food for thought. Just moving away from the economy, Nusra, it would it would be really helpful to better understand COVID-19's impact on the legal landscape. What type of cases have arisen out of COVID? Thanks Shemean. Um
2: Well to start with a case was brought in respect of the legality of lockdown itself. And you might have heard of this uh, case. It was brought by businessman Simon Dolan against the government. And he essentially argued that the government had acted illegally and disproportionately over the COVID-19 lockdown. And the court ruled um, that the case be dismissed on all grounds. Although we understand at the time of recording that Mr Dolan is now considering an appeal. However, the majority of cases we've seen going through the courts really focus on specific aspects of COVID decision making where litigation was contemplated and brought in respect of specific quarantine provisions and government action or inaction. So, for example, a claim was brought by families with children on the autistic spectrum, challenging the limit on outdoor activity. Interestingly the government changed its policy there to make it clear that those with health conditions that require them to leave their homes more than once a day and travel beyond their local area are expressly permitted to do so and so that particular claim was withdrawn from the courts. There have also been a challenge brought by two doctors challenging the government's guidance on the use of personal protective equipment or PPE And in particular, they argued that PPE availability and guidance is inadequate in providing them with appropriate protection from infection. On the topic of PPE, there's also been a challenge brought by the Good Law Project to the award of a contract for PPE to a small company with allegedly no relevant experience. And you might well have heard about the claim brought by British Airways, Ryanair and EasyJet against the government, challenging the introduction of the two-week quarantine period on travellers entering Britain. They've been claiming that the new guidelines are more stringent than those in place for people confirmed to have COVID-19, and say there was no consultation or specific evidence provided for, as they put it, such a severe policy. They argue that the policy will have a devastating effect on the economy. The claimants here want the government to re-adopt its previous quarantine policy, introduced in March, where the restrictions were limited to passengers from high-risk countries. And the three airlines here argue that this would be the most practical and effective solution and would bring the UK in line with much of Europe. At the time of recording this podcast, we are now awaiting judgment. So I do expect that we're likely to continue to see more of these COVID challenges in the short to medium term, in particular while the COVID legislation, regulations and guidance remain in place. As far as we've gathered, there are no plans to
0: dismantle the COVID regime as yet. It's really interesting to better understand the range of cases that are being brought. What is your gut instinct on how courts might approach COVID cases? I think it's first
2: worth noting that all the claims I've just mentioned are judicial review claims, which have a two-stage process. So initially, claimants need the court's permission to go ahead. And then if that permission is granted, their substantive case is considered at trial. Usually, permissions decided on the papers without an oral hearing, but sometimes it can be considered at the same time as the substance. In terms of permission, the courts may be reluctant to give permission to claims where there is a pandemic or public health context. But on the other hand, topics such as the quarantine are such a major interference in people's lives that the courts might well take the opportunity to scrutinize important legal questions about the limits on the government's powers, even in a pandemic. When it gets to the question of whether a claimant could win a case relating to COVID measures, I think a significant hurdle that claimants face is that courts are likely to give the government a high margin of deference when it comes to decision making that affects public health. And indeed, this was noted in the Dolan case I've mentioned, where the court dismissed Mr. Dolan's claim partly on the basis of the context in which the restrictions were imposed. That is a global pandemic with a highly infectious disease capable of causing death, um, spreading and transmissible between humans.
0: Looking to the future, how might scrutiny or a lessons learned exercise on Covid take place?
2: There are calls for a public inquiry into how Covid has been dealt with by the government. And if an inquiry happens, that could be a longer term impact of the crisis. If the government doesn't proactively establish an inquiry, it might actually be compelled to do so by the courts. And indeed, there is a potential human rights argument that where there have been deaths or serious threats to life, there should be an inquiry. So it's
0: not difficult to see how COVID could fall within that line of argument. Thank you, Nusra and James. We'll see how the political and legal landscape pans out. That brings us to the end of our time for today's podcast. For more information, please feel free to be in touch and keep an eye out for our Public Law Notes blog and the firm's COVID-19 material. Thank you all for listening. This was Shameem Ahmad talking to Nusrat Zah, who co-leads Herbert Smith Freehill's public law practice in London, and our guest, James McBride, a partner from Hanbury Strategy. Watch out for our next episode in this three-part series on what the future holds post-Brexit. Until then, take care.